With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Towards Gabbiadini! Oh, he's hit the post and he's gone in! And one shot treated Manchester United's defence with absolute content. Here's Bayano, give and go with Sturridge, that's lovely! Tommy Smith. Hello, you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast. My name is Chris Parsons, and for episode 10, as you're probably listening during the international break, when the Rams aren't in action, we're bringing you our second ex-player interview to tide you over. This former Rams favourite played more than 100 times for the club, banged in 30 goals along the way, including 20 in the Premier League, and famously scored the winner at Old Trafford, which helped save the Rams from relegation. Not bad for a player bought from the non-league for just £50,000. Here's what Malcolm Christie told myself, Richard and Tom about his time as a Derby County player. And don't forget, if you enjoy the podcast, then subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing on iTunes or hit follow on SoundCloud to get the latest episode sent straight to your device. Martin forward towards Ravenelli. Drops for Christie. The crow. Ravenelli's onside. Christie's there. Derby breakthrough. Malcolm Christie, are you there? How's it going? Yeah, yeah, absolutely good. It's really good of you to give us your time. We really appreciate it. We wanted to just dive straight in and address the burning issue. A quick yes or no answer for you on this. Should that goal against Man United have been allowed in 2002? What, the one to make my hat trick? <laughs> that, yeah. that goal. I mean, I remember after the game, I don't think anybody at that stage had scored a hat trick in the Premier League against Man United. I know before the Premier League started, a couple of players had, but... Alex Ferguson even said after the game that he thought it should have stood. You know, referee made a very quick decision in all fairness. You know, they had, when I put the ball in the back of the net, I've kind of heard the whistle go, although the, the cheers from the Derby fans sort of overrid anything like that. I just thought I'd better look behind before I start making the fool of myself celebrating. And, uh, and obviously, yeah, he'd, uh, he'd blown the, the whistle. We'll come back to that later on because, yeah. believe me, it still angers all three of us to this day, basically, doesn't it? <laughs> still fuming. <laughs> but in terms of in terms of the here and now, uh, you retired in 2009 and then took up a slightly more unusual career away from football. Can you fill us in on what you're up to these days? I basically work at uh, a car dealership up here in the northeast. I've just made my home um, up here. You know, I'm just inside of Middlesbrough. I work for um, a dealership up here. Uh, selling uh, Jaguar Land Rovers and I'm the uh, sales manager so um, yeah obviously decided to totally left field thing away from football um, at the time it was a conscious decision I made at the point in my life and you know I've progressed well in the last sort of five years that I've done this job so uh, rewind though to 1998 and I think you're playing at Nuneaton Borough uh, when Jim Smith calls on you £50,000 signing uh, I think the story goes that you were stacking supermarket shelves. What do you remember about about that time and how that how that transfer came about? It was a big moment in my life. Um, you know, I wasn't there that long. In all fairness, it was towards the back end of 
Premier League clubs he, he would like, but it would inspire me you know Brendan would go well, we've got Manchester United here watching today we've got Arsenal and like for a kid who literally a few months earlier was, was as you said stacking shelves and, and scoring goals and I was playing for my brother's um, work team like fruit and veg company's work team <laughs> you know, you, know you, you fast forward a couple, literally a few months and Manchester United the scouts there watching you but I absolutely loved it I absolutely you know went to Leicester City on trial and I went to meet Martin O'Neill after the game, went in his office, and he went, well done, son, you did really well. We'd like another look at you. And I thought, do you know what? I couldn't have done any more there. I have <laughs> scored in the game with one, I'd set the other one up, and I'd played, I'd held everything up, and he wanted to look at me again, and I thought, geez, it's not, maybe not going to be as easy as, as it's made out. And then at the time, Jim Smith, I got a call um, to say that he wanted me to uh, to go and play, um, in a, again, a friendly game against uh, Boston United. Uh, went along again. And do you know what? I didn't play well. Things were bouncing off me, flicking off me. And, and I thought, I come off the pitch and I thought, well, I've not played against Leicester. I've had a bit of a stinger there for Derby. And I thought, nah, nothing of it. The next day, the phone call came in and said, Derby, want to sign you? Off the back of what? I mean, obviously there must have... There was people quite like harassing me at the time, in all fairness. Well, for the meeting, they were like, you know, the, the vultures were sort of floating about and I was having people chasing me. Funny story, but the, the, the guy was sort of following us around and we, we, yeah, we were naive, we didn't, we didn't know anything about the football industry. We ended up meeting this, this guy in a, uh, in a McDonald's at a service <laughs> wondering in terms of actually playing uh, what was the difference between playing for Nuneaton in the in the conference to playing for Derby in the Premier League my game didn't change really I mean I remember the first the first training session I did um, when I signed the first training session was at the baseball ground where they used to do the, um, the reserve games and um, I remember turning along and I was like so excited you know you, you were there you were you know these people that I was watching on the telly suddenly I was training with them I remember the first training session I did at the people Jim Smith put me up front with Paolo one shot. I can't quite believe this. I remember doing um, a little bit of skill. I did a Rabona, and he come over me and went, "Wow, oh, yeah, you know." And I was thinking, Paolo <laughs> This is this is this is slightly different than sort of you know what I was used to. I've got myself a lot fitter, of course. I've worked on my first touch. I've worked on my game. I would say what happened to me. A lot of the freedom had been knocked out of me in the respect of I was fearless really when I went to Derby County. But then all of a sudden, when you're playing in a team that it wasn't successful in the realms of where we were in the league, although the first season I was there was, you know, we were always struggling. So you almost have to adapt your, your game. You can't do the flat fancy flick. You can't go on that extra run and beat the man. You know, I look back at my, my life 
know what? I should have just I should have just tried to become a bit more of a flair player. And you know, Jim Smith really put me in the team to score goals, and it was no different, really. You know what I was doing, beating a defender at the near post or trying to you know make a little run in between someone. That that never changed. So you you mentioned one shot there. Were, were there any like good mates when you arrived at the club who really kind of helped you out, helped you settle in? Was there other members of the youth team or the reserve that you remember no. being good mates? Because I was going in, I wasn't a name. I wasn't somebody who people were like, "Oh, what a signing that is." I felt like a little bit like I had to earn myself. I had to earn my name. I had to earn my reputation. And by doing that, you almost start at the bottom. So there was quite a lot of young lads at the time there. There was like Steve Elliott who ended up obviously playing in the first team. There was people like Mark Bridge Wilkinson who went yeah. to play, you know, for Derby County first team and, and things. You know, there was a few other guys who, who ended up having a core of young kids who, you know, were hopeful that, that them kids were going to develop. But it was a bit, you have to look after yourself. You know, I ended up going into digs. You know, I, I moved out of my mum and dad's house, obviously, to, to, to you know, the, the club wanted me to move into the, the city. And, and, you know, for me, again, a change. You know, I'm, I'm suddenly living, living by myself. Yeah, I just had to work my way up, really. People like, you know, who were there at the time that, that I learned from, Stefano Aranio, people like that, who suddenly you were training with these guys and the skills they were doing and, and you know, you were learning from, you know, the, the Francesco Baianos. Um, you know, we, we had some good strikers at the time as well. You know, Dean Sturridge was there, Dion Burton. You know, so it was always going to be for me. It was going to be a, a task for me to even develop and get into that first team. But I always thought to myself, look, do well at every training session, every reserve team game that you play. And do you know what? If you're scoring goals, then then Jim will probably give you give me the opportunity. And you know he did. And I come on as sub for my debut at uh, Hillsborough. We ended up winning the game. I think it was one 0 Spencer Pryor scored a header. Mm. Um, and it's where Pavel Cernicek got sent off because he like he, he ran out of the box and I ran through and he ended up like clattering me on the shoulder. Got sent off. And I remember after the game saying, "Doesn't matter what I do for the rest of my life." to ask you Malcolm was um, just about Jim Smith's management style really what was he like as a coach was he would he sort of fly off the handle when Derby lost or, or was, oh, he, was he more oh, of like an arm around the shoulder sort of a, of a oh, manager I'm petrified of him yeah. <laughs> was, he wanted the best for me because because he signed me and because he took a punt on me he obviously wanted to give me an opportunity to progress and do well but he was always hard on me because he knew I'd respond to it and again it was the same for everyone you know we'd be training we'd be with the coaches and then you'd see Jim you know half an hour into the session he'd be down he'd be walking down the, the stairs at the Ram Arena he'd be walking over and then all of a sudden everyone would look he's coming he's coming and then the standard of it would just would just go up and some players couldn't deal with it because having him watch it in training you know some players it inspired some players it made them a, a, a bit of a quivering mess but for me he, he managed he managed me I remember at one time being at um, a,
pre-season training as well. You know, we would go go abroad, um, and I'd be with the other lads, and we'd be sort of having a laugh and a joke um, on a day off on a uh, when we were sort of doing pre-season, and we'd be there having maybe a, a bottle of beer or something. And I remember we were having a game of pool, having a beer. Jim walked in. I was like, "There's a bottle of beer in me." He like looked at me like a disappointed father. He had he had me next day and thought, "I'm very disappointed." You know. You need to focus on your game now. This is something other. and yeah, I was only doing it because everybody else is. And do you know what? He didn't say anything to anybody else because he, he looked at me like I don't know. Like he'd given me the opportunity, and he obviously I didn't want to let him down as, as he didn't want to sort of let me down. So it was almost like you know, I wouldn't go so far to say it was a father-son relationship, but you know, he knew what pushed my buttons, and I knew I had to play well because I didn't want to be in the, coming in at half-time or full-time and disappointing him. Things did start to go sour, like in some sort of 2000 onwards. But you scored that goal at Old Trafford, which uh, kept us up and saved us from relegation. Um, talk us through that one. I was I was going on a I was on a barren run of uh, of not scoring. I think it was 17 or 18 games. I mean, granted, I wasn't starting every game, and I've come on as sub, and I hadn't. I've sort of alluded to the fact that we had a couple of seasons where we we, we struggled, you know, and um, we were going into games, and you know, it was hard. I mean, it was all coming to a head where obviously we had to go to Old Trafford and, and, and get a result. Before the game, the United Jim put the United team up. And I just remember looking at that team and, and going, do you know what, we can beat them. Because it rested a few players, Alex Ferguson and Sir Alex. And, and I looked at it and I thought, yeah, they've still got, you know, yeah, David Beckham's still playing. And, you know, Teddy Sheringham was up front, Bartes was in goal. But I just remember before the game thinking, and we all did, we, all, we were all up for it. Obviously, the game, the game panned out. You know, fantastic for me in the respect of scoring the winning goal, uh, and it was obviously a dream come true. And it, it's the one thing when I look back at my career that, that it doesn't define my career, but it's my highlight, of course. You know, when I being a Manchester United fan as a youngster and and going to Old Trafford, you know, since I've retired and or being at Old Trafford, it was it was really you know quite emotional when I come home. It was it was an emotionally draining day. Take my boys along there as well, and sort of, Daddy, did you score? You know, it was like it was it was a, it was a big moment. So how did uh, how how did how did you celebrate, Matt? Because I think I think Danny Higginbottom said in an article recently that they went on a seventy-two hour bender. Were you, were you one of those guys? We enjoyed ourselves. You know, we, we we played hard. You know, certainly on that night was no exception. I mean, we we all met in a bar in in Derby after the game. I remember sitting in the bar when match of the day came on, um, and there was all the Derby fans there. Was a little bit in, sort of conspicuous in the corner. We were sort of tucked away a little bit. The word got around that sort of. You know, and then the goal went in, and it was like, you know, it was a great day. Do you know what I mean? It was a great, it was a great game. We had a great night. You know, one thing that I will say about that game is, is one thing again that defined me. But one thing that always made me laugh was the miss that I did in the second half. I don't want. I don't want to bring it up, but I, I'm, so I'm glad you did. <laughs> it was. A, I remember that. It was yeah. a bit of a sitter, wasn't it? Having problems dealing with the skills of King Cladsey on the ball again. And looking dangerous again. And there's a fine ball for Morris. Round the goalkeeper. Derby must score surely. Christian Mark. Oh, he's hit it high. How did he miss that? He can't believe it either. I remember the night I went out. After that, I thought everyone's going to be... All anyone's going to want to talk about is the goal. Brilliant. Only people wanted to talk about was a miss. <laughs> and I was like, hang on a minute. I've just scored a winning goal at Old Trafford. What do you mean, what about that? I, mean, I, I don't care about it. <laughs> Can't believe it, can he? He might say after the game, I cannot believe people were coming up to me and saying, oh, I can't believe you missed that. 
nonetheless, you know, I can look back. It was, you know, Man U nil, Derby won, and I scored the only goal. And it was a great moment, not just for myself, obviously, but for the team. You know, celebrating with all the guys afterwards. You know, I've got some pictures. You know, I ended up getting some pictures blown up from my house, me jumping on the back of Pumi when we're sort of celebrating and just really going up to the Derby fans after the game and cheering. So, yeah, obviously the best, the best, the best day I've had uh, in football without a, without a shadow, shadow of a doubt. That, that Derby team actually had some incredible characters. You mentioned Poom, but also sort of uh, Teribo West coming in a couple of years later and then Fabrizio Ravinelli. What were the characters like in the dressing room? Yeah, well, it was, it was, it was evolving all the time. We had a core of the team. You know, we had people like Chris, Chris Riggett. We had you know, Danny Higginbottom, Seth Johnson in the midfield. I sort of had a few different partners as well at the time. Obviously, uh, Fabrizio came in for, for a season and that, um, again, my eyes were just open and oh, Playing with Fabrizio Ravinelli, I can't believe it. And the first training <laughs> session we did with him, he, was, he couldn't speak English, so Stefano Rani had brought him over and said, he sort of came over and sort of introduced me properly to him and said, Fabrizio is here for you. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? He went, he's here to help you. He obviously knew I was a young kid, he knew I needed help and things, and he helped me massively on the training. Obviously, we had we had people coming out, Esteban Fuertes came in, that was a bit of a saga. You know, they're always trying to sign a centre forward. Uh, not necessarily to play with me, just as competition. What do you remember about that saga? You said it was a saga. Like, do you remember him turning up and then disappearing three weeks later? Yeah, like, what happened? He came in, and you know, I think everything was hunky dory. I think he scored a few goals. Yeah. Anyway, we, we came, we were flying back. I think we'd been for a pre-season tour somewhere or mid-season. Somewhere. <laughs> I can't remember the exact date of things, but I remember that there'd be talk of the, the, the customs of, or you know, the brigade people um, have, have got Esteban at the airport. And and then the last and the next I saw of him, I think we were, again, on a pre-season tour, I think it was two years later, we were walking around, the, me and Chris were walking around the, the pier um, in, um, in Marbella, and then we walk into him. <laughs> he, you know, he sort of pitched in English, but it was like quite funny, like, you know, what happened to you? And, uh, he was there with another team and things. Uh, obviously, Taribo, well, I mean, again, to get a player like him, you know, he came in, but he was, in all fairness, he was probably one of the most unreliable very rarely turned up for training. When he did, he'd be late. When he was out on the training pitch, he'd be good and he'd be like, he'd be a voice and things. I remember once we were, we turned up at Fulham and again, Jim had this where sometimes certain players, certain senior players maybe could do what they wanted at certain times. And we turned up at Fulham but Taribo made his own way there. But it was like, oh no, no, Taribo's he's meeting us down and he, just, he didn't turn up and he came in, I think, I think it was a League Cup game and he came in before, like about half an hour before the, the game, all, like all dishevelled and things. You know, oh, oh, is he playing or not? I don't even know whether the team sheet we got him. But the one lasting memory was that is we, again, this isn't necessarily a laughing matter, but it was like quite a surreal moment. He had us preaching get in a huddle and like you'd be obviously preaching to the Lord I'm a Christian in the respect of but I don't I sort of preach and things like that but to sort of see Jim Smith in a huddle <laughs> preaching to the higher power you know I didn't know whether yeah yeah so he ended up preaching to us before some of the games um, you know obviously trying to help him in that respect but like I say but, but to see Jim sort of in the huddle with us it was like you know hugging him and, uh, yeah it was a bit, a bit surreal we're going to leave it there for the time being, Mark. We'll, we'll talk in the second half about, uh, obviously, that hat-trick that never was against Man United. You know, you sort of moved from Derby to Middlesbrough in 2003 yeah. and your career after football. So we will speak to you on the other side of this. Now again, there's Villains, Asanovic...
Welcome back to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the Derby County podcast, where we're interviewing Malcolm Christie, a former Derby County striker. But we wanted to ask you about, you know, some of the specific goals in your Derby career. Uh, obviously, the most, or the ones that weren't allowed in the end, the one that we all remember you for, aside from the one that you did score against Man United, is uh, in, I think it was March 2002. Uh, the season Derby eventually did get relegated. It was that cracking 2-2 draw at Pride Park, wasn't it? You'd already scored a brace against the champions. You're on a hat-trick three minutes into injury time. Uh, the ball falls to Branko Strupar. Talk us through how you remember what happened next. Yeah, I just remember sort of everything that had been sort of taught growing up. Always always follow the shot in, really. You know, always if your teammate's having a shot, I just remember sort of following in, be sort of half a yard ahead of the, the defender. And I just remember it being shot and Barthez spilt it sort of forward and you know, I meant, ended up sort of lunging in because it was such a frantic, frenetic game, if I, if I remember. You know, it was end-to-end. You know, I should have had a, I think, a, a penalty um, where, when Bartes came out and I headed it past him, he ended up punching me in the side of the head. And we sort of did have him on the, on the rack for a lot of that game. And you've got to remember that that, you know, the Manchester United team that I've scored against previous, this Manchester United team that, that we played against was a totally different outfit. They, they were a proper team. Oh, Bartes has spilled it! It's Christie! He's not giving it. No! He's not giving it. Oh, my, my. That's no. a massive decision. The reaction uh, during the game, after the game, you know, it's all anybody wanted to talk about, you know, was, you know, you denied a hat-trick. I remember getting interviewed by Sky TV straight after the game. You know, they wanted to know about, you know, the goal, you know, was never... And, Obviously, emotions were high at the time. Ended up getting man of the match as well in the game, which was which was great again. So yeah, on on that match, like, were you buzzing that you'd scored two two good goals, or were you just really just completely depressed about the fact that you've been denied a, a winner and, and and maybe helping us survive relegation? I think I was seen celebrating like we'd won. <laughs> like, to get to get a point against against Man U at the time when the, the team and the players that they had was for us we, we were. We were scrapping about for points, and we were, you know, we were heading towards relegation. It was a great result. Great one on the outside from Zavanio. He's got to stay on side though. He's managed that. Zavanio's cross. Oh, magnificent! Malcolm Christie. It's two-two. You know, it would have, of course, been the icing on the, you know, the cherry on the icing on the cake for for us to get the for us to get the win and, and the three points, but. You know, it was just, it was sort of hard to catch your breath after the game because it was only afterwards we came, I remember coming footing back down to earth. I think we went for Arsenal straight after and we got beat, like, convincingly. I think it was two games in a very short period of time because we, we sort of played against Man U and we were straight in a, in a coach pretty much going to Arsenal. So we didn't really have time to, you know, think about that game too much, whereas the previous one where I'd, you know, scored against the Old Trafford and things, now we celebrated that hard and, like, that was a great memory. Whereas that one, it was sort of a, a, a sort of moment in time in my career. Yeah, it'd have been great to score it, and you know, I could have, I probably could have dined off it for the rest of my, my career and things in that respect. But it, it wasn't meant to be. Um, and obviously, fast forward a few months later, you know, we're getting relegated. It certainly got forgotten about at that point. Were you ever close to leaving before you did go to Middlesbrough in two thousand and three? Um, yeah, well, Middlesbrough wanted to sign me. Um, Middlesbrough wanted to sign me in that summer. 
talk about if you know the crowd being the 12th man and and that sort of thing like is is, is, that, is that really true like you know say when does, does the crowd being behind you really make you sort of run you know an extra 10 you know it makes you a yard quicker and when they get on your back does it make you uh, does it does that affect your game as well um it does, does but like, like i said there the, the derby fans never never ever got on my back i liked to that probably two or three years later when i'm playing for middlesbrough when they were yeah and i was hearing things from the crowd it wasn't nice now, I remember thinking, you know, all my struggles through, you know, where I did, I didn't play particularly well, you know, from time to time for Derby, you know, quite a few times, but never did the, the crowd ever get on the back, you know, and I remember once, I think we lost to, I think we lost to Liverpool 4-0, and being up in the players' lounge, people were saying, there's a crowd of people outside waiting to lynch players when they come out, and I was like, oh my God, like, what am I going to do here, like, you know, where do I go, I remember going out the door, and do you know what? They respected because they were like, Mount, you know what, you ran, you did all you could. It's not 
Thank you. <laughs> they're, they're waiting for Trebo West to come out. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, although there was, there was times when, you know, there were frustrations, if I could relive my time at Derby County again, I would do it tenfold because I never got injured. I played nearly all the time with all the different strikers that were there. The only reason that I left Derby County at the time was because I wanted to play in the Premier League. And so, yeah, so when the move did actually happen, obviously... Um... Uh, they actually ends up including uh, Chris Riggett in the deal as well. So, do you remember how how does it actually come about when when they came back in for you six months later, and how do those those kind of double deals happen? Were you good mates with Chris? Was that quite good for you to yeah, go with him? Yeah. You know, I saw Chris come up, you know, through the ranks at Derby, and obviously we were first team players together. Um, we had the same agent at the time as well, which helped. There was talk that Derby were looking to sell when the window come up because obviously league position dictated that they're going to have to sell some of their assets. There were a few clubs, Bolton Wanderers were, were a club that I know were keen on signing me. Um, Leeds United was another one that, that came out of the woodwork for myself and then late, latterly on in the transfer for Chris as well. So we were all, there was there was so much in the air of, of what we're doing, where we're going. The call came in, um, the Middlesbrough had agreed, you know, a figure for both both me and Chris. Just remember going to the training ground, picking my boots, saying goodbye, very quick and short and sweet and, and, and driving up to meet Steve McLaren in the hotel. You don't really get the opportunity to say goodbye. You know, it, so it, it does happen fairly quickly because we were coming to the end of end of the transfer window as well. So it was like, well, is it happening or not? You know, both me and Chris went up there and I remember they offered us less money than we were on at Derby County. And we were like, what? <laughs> we're go- is this right? We're, go- we're moving? We're-, we're going back into the Premier League? Neither of us were on massive money at Derby County. I, get that, I, get, I think there's a preconception that Myself and Chris were on huge money at Derby. We weren't because we sort of built our way up. Yeah, we were, we were getting rewarded for it, but we weren't on huge, absolute huge money. But then to be offered even less, and anyway, we just, we called their bluff in the respect of which we got in the car, the agent played the game, rather we're going, we're going, we're going back down the road. Anyway, the call came in the car, you know, turn around, we want to talk to you again. We ended up being offered something that, that was attractive, and it was done very late on, on, on transfer deadline day. Chris, played a lot more games than, than me obviously for Middlesbrough because my nightmare absolute nightmare time with injuries um, but obviously Chris towards the end of his career was suffered from them as well and, and obviously like myself ended up retiring early as well so just you know so fast forward a few years now can it was when uh, it was when he was just 29 believe it or not in in January 09 when he did have to retire because uh, you suffered a, a spinal injury in training didn't you I mean wh- when it actually happened did you sort of know straight away that I'm, I'm a big trouble here I, I remember it was a time in my career where I'd left Middlesbrough and I'd had obviously I broke my leg in 2004 and then I ended up being out of the game for sort of two to two and a half years whilst they operated it right at the end because they messed up so you know that again that sort of messed me up and I had eight operations in in the four and a half years that I was there so fast forward when I finish at Middlesbrough all of a sudden you know the, the phone calls are not there anymore I've gone to Hull City after I finish at Middlesbrough I played a few games and you know oh we'll have a look at you again and it's do you know what it was almost like the sort of 10 years earlier that I was doing what I'd done to try and make my way in the game and I was and it was so demoralizing um, I'd sort of found half a home at Leeds United Dennis Wise was the manager he said, come on, man, we'll get you in. Joined the training and the games and things like that. He left. Gary McAllister took over. And then I remember a training session, very innocuous, uh, crossing and finishing session. Um, I just got myself to full fitness. Dennis Wise, sorry, was still the manager at the time, said, man, we've got a contract for you. I'd agreed the contract. Um, it 
it, it just seems in, incredible that, that something like that could happen. Because obviously, you know, people, supporters do say that footballers have great lives. You know, they, uh, you know, they earn large amounts of money. They're sort of idolised by thousands. They get to do a job that they love for 10 or 20 years. But from what you've told us there, it can just be over, you know, like that in, in the blink of an eye. Yeah, because for the six months previous, I was without a club because obviously I wasn't earning any money because I was I was out of a contract. My back happens. I basically was told at the time that I'd probably need to operate on it and I'd be out of action for maybe a year to 18 months. So I just treated it conservatively. Uh, and again, I come back from that and the manager's changed. Gary McAllister's the manager. He's now gone. Sort of Simon Grayson takes over. I do end up playing some games for Leeds, in all fairness. I did get myself back. But by that time, it wasn't my body that had gone, it was my head that had gone. I'd, I'd mentally given up. That was the hardest thing, that I knew my body wasn't the same. But from all the operations, from all the injuries, every time you get injured, you think, do you know what, I'm going to come back fit and stronger. And the first couple of times you do, but when you get down the eighth, the ninth time and, and things, I was mentally gone. And do you know what, when I retired, I was relieved. Do you remember the exact moment when you did just think, enough is enough? I was stood in, in Ellen Road Stadium after having not been picked by Simon Grayson to play, and I was on a pay-as-you-play basis. He knew that I was good enough to be in the squad, and, and there was a corridor, and I could hear Simon Grayson talking to someone saying that I'm not, I'm not bothered whether he's not happy or not. I'm not being dictated who I play in my stick because I was, because I was there when he turned up. I wasn't his guy. I wasn't his player. I was stood there, and that was that was it. He was right in the respect of I had no right to play, but you know, Leeds had been great with me, and that was my one opportunity to try and get myself back and going again. And when I heard that, I went back home. I was demoralised. I was flat. And I remember my, my, my son at the time was was very young. And I went to pick him up off the floor, and my back spasmed again, exactly the same as it felt. Uh, I spoke to my uh, my ex-wife now, but my wife at the time, I said, I'm done. And I, and I went. Out of football very quietly. I didn't make any big announcement. I didn't need to. I'm not. I wasn't. You know, from the player that I was six or seven years previous, that player would have been big news. The player that suddenly was an injury-prone striker without a club, that had been without a club, that was injured and always injured. That player could just sail off into the sunset and no one's bothered about it. That that was me. And and I ha- do you know what happened? He did that. You know, I just retired under medical advice because my back wasn't wasn't great. Mentally wasn't right, but I dealt with that myself and and made you know an attempt to say that side of my career boom is finished. Let's move on, and I attempted to do that from that juncture. Really appreciate your honesty there. It's a, a massively eye-opening story about how difficult it must be playing football and then having those sort of injury problems, which we know so many players obviously do have. Um, and you've obviously been really unfortunate. How hard was it to transition out of playing football to sort of a, a normal life almost? It was so hard. It was so hard because football was was my life. For, nobody wanted to know me. You know, the phone stopped ringing. The agent that had helped me all my career suddenly, I was ringing him and. You know, I thought he was a friend, but the reality is you're just a piece of, a commodity, a piece of me. You know, you, you, you go from, from walking about when you're a footballer and sort of knowing that all people are recognising me. Not, not, you're not walking about wanting to be recognised, but it's just human nature. You're getting recognised and then, and then all of a sudden you're going out and like, no one's bothered about you. And all people who do want to recognise, who do recognise, you want to talk about your injuries, you know, you end up becoming that person that doesn't want to leave the house. Did you carry on watching football after you retired, man? No, I, I couldn't. I couldn't watch it because because these players that I played with were suddenly. 
probably on the telly and they were doing what I wanted to do and that I, that I, that what I dreamed of doing and that I couldn't do anymore. I had no more purpose in life. I had my kids. My kids were growing up. I could look after them. I could go to Tesco's. I could work out what I was going to have for tea later so I could go out. You know, it was almost like a bit of a, a robotic, robotic routine about the day of my life. So, so you stopped watching football for a period completely then, did you? Yeah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't watch it. I mean... And how how long did so how long did you how long did that period last? How long did you not watch the game for? Two to three years, easily, easily. Two to three years for me to for me to get over that sort of mental side of things. And 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 it's only when my my boys started to get a bit older. You know, we were, we were sort of out in the garden, and I'd get the football out, and we'd be kicking it to each other. And and, and I think to myself, my, my boys have never and will never, although they can watch on sort of video clips, and I've got DVDs, will never be able to see me play. I'd have loved them to be able to watch me watch me play. Now, obviously, my boys are sort of massively into football, and, and I thought to myself, it got to a stage where I thought, Joe, you know I'm proud of what I've done. From nothing, from absolutely nothing, from coming from nowhere, I actually did something. I, I, I went and played in the Premier League. I scored goals. I ended up representing my country, albeit under 21 levels. And, and I could look at myself, but it was only two years, two to three years later, where I could I could look at myself and go into the garage and go and get my box of stuff where I had my shirts, which I swapped with players and things like that. It's only then when you can sort of say to yourself that you know I achieved something and I'm I'm really proud of what I, what I've done. And my boys are as well because occasionally I'll be out with them and, and I'll get recognised. Did you still do you still get recognised now? The most random place was the Metro. Um, radio arena when I went to watch One Direction. <laughs> it was the most random thing. We were sat in the crowd quite close to the front and then this guy comes over to me and goes, are you Malcolm Christie? And I'm sort of, because people, even though they know who you are, they, they'll ask, are you, even though they know <laughs> Just to check. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you go, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, well, Niall, one of the boys, wants to meet you after the show. <laughs> he, like, you were his hero when you were a, when he was a kid. And I'm thinking, really? <laughs> When you, when you met Niall, Niall from One Direction, Derby County's biggest fan, who was more starstruck? Was it you meeting him or him meeting you? It was, the, the, I, I, it was I, him. I was <laughs> more thinking about it for the, for the stepdaughters more than myself, really. Yeah. I knew that it was a big thing for them. Have you been back to Pride Park since since you retired? Um, only to commentate on a game, uh, Derby County against uh, Leicester City. That was the only time, but again, I, I would love, I would absolutely love to go back. It's been like... 14, 14, 15, 16 years. When I'm looking for closure in my life, I've been back to Middlesbrough and things, and you know, I've, I've you know, done on the pitch and things like that. And I feel, you know, I, I can go to watch Middlesbrough now. I take, my, I, I take my boys. We go and watch the game. There's closure there. I can go like a supporter, and I love it. I've not had the opportunity to do that at Derby because, you know, obviously I live and I'm based up, up here and things like that. So, but I, I'd absolutely love to. Walter decides to head back towards his line. Johnson goes up well. Christie's there! Amazing! Derby looked dead and buried. In that game against Man United, which is the last time I'll mention it, um, <laughs> it the, both the goals you scored, the celebration, when you sort of put your fingers to your mouth, what was, what was all that about? Um, again, I think it was just hitting the moment. I, I, I'd never had a celebration. 
celebration after career celebration. I used to just go when I scored, like just go, oh yeah, I've scored. <laughs> <laughs> too right you can, you can, if you're scoring goals against Man United you can be as arrogant as you want in, in terms of my opinion yeah I'd agree uh, last question then um, when Derby play Borough later this month uh, who will you be supporting well that's a tough one <laughs> you can say Borough I, I, do, I do follow Derby County results I'm not going to lie I do follow Middlesbrough results I'm not going to lie um, you know I'll just go for a score draw really to be honest. <laughs> sit, on the, sit on the fence I've got, I've got fond memories probably more Listen, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Some terrific stories there and we wish you all the best for the future. So thanks again, Malcolm Christie.